And while we were there, there was a knock on the door and two men came in and they drew guns and they asked if she was uh, Rita Gerst and she said yes. And they said, do you want to see her ID? And she gave it to them. And they started to, uh, it looked like they were taking her away. You're listening to Code Red with Secure America Now, the largest national security grassroots army. Hello, and welcome to the Code Red podcast. My name is Matthew, filling in for Alan Roth on this very special edition of the Code Red podcast. Today, in commemoration of International Holocaust Remembrance Day, we have on Stephanie Douglas Furman, a Holocaust survivor who has agreed to come on and share her story with us and our audience. Stephanie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. And so let's start off, just jump right into it. Can you uh, give me some background on yourself? You know, maybe where you were, when you were born, where you were born, some things like that. Absolutely. I was born in Wuppertal, Elberfeld, which is in Germany, the uh, northwestern part of Germany. Uh, in uh, the year was 1936. Okay, awesome. And so I'm curious, you know, obviously, you know, you grew up in Germany. Um, you started out actually in Germany, rather. Right. So tell me a little bit about, you know, your experience. I mean, what was it like growing up during the Holocaust? I remember growing up in Germany. I still have quite a few recollections of my time in Germany. Uh, the uh, I remember the, the apartment my mother and I occupied. I remember visiting my father in prison and being uh, around four years old. I could not understand why I couldn't have him walk out with us. Uh, it was, uh, I, I grew up as a kid and I had, every, I don't remember any problem at that stage in my life. So at what point did you first realize the severity of, you know, what was going on around you? How old were you at the time? Well, the uh, first problem that we encountered, apparently, I understand that my uh, mother was on the Gestapo's most wanted list. And so she was due to go back to prison. She had been imprisoned previously for being a member of the Communist Party. And uh, I guess she decided to leave Germany and uh, hired a uh, an agent to to get us across the border. It isn't like you can just walk across. We had to sneak across because there was uh, a lot of barbed wire, and it was the middle of the night. And I remember being all excited because I got to stay up late. We did it at night. Normally, I would be sleeping at that time. So I remember wa uh, walking and talking, being all excited, and then hearing uh, a motor in the distance. It turned out there was somebody, a guard, I guess, on a motorcycle. And the agent, because I was talking, knocked me down on the ground and I didn't 
I didn't peep. I knew that if I started to howl or cry because I was thrown down, uh, it would be bad. So I stayed very quiet. And the motorcycle passed, did not see us. And I remember walking a long, long time. And eventually, when dawn came, we were in Holland. Were you there for the duration of the war? Uh, no, about six months, I think. And where did you end up after that? Um, my mother arranged to uh, meet with her sister, who was living in Belgium with her family, uh, her husband and two sons. Okay, and what year did you guys get to Belgium? Uh, we, I was, uh, Belgium about 1941. Okay. So I'm curious, were you ever yourself, were you ever captured um, by the Nazis and imprisoned by the Nazis? No, uh, my mother was, and I was there when she was, uh, my mother had apparently found a place where we could be safe because she was wanted and there were posters out for her arrest. And uh, we were uh, on our way to this place, which must have been on a farm someplace. And she went to visit some people that she knew before we were going there, before we went there. And while we were there, there was a knock on the door and two men came in and they drew guns and they asked if she was uh, Rita Gerst and she said yes and they said they want to see her ID and she gave it to them and they started to uh, it looked like they were taking her away at that point, I howled and tried to kick them and try to stop it. I knew they were taking her away, and I couldn't do anything. And the people that we were visiting uh, grabbed me, put me on, made me stand on a chair, and held my legs so I couldn't kick anymore. And they took my mother. Was that the last time you saw her? Yes. Uh, and then they, uh, the people there, uh, I, it was a man and a wife, and they were trying to figure out what to do with me. So I ran out the door. I ran out and went out the door and started wandering in the streets, trying to find my aunt, my mother's sister. And luckily, I found her. I was able to find her. And I told her about my mother. And it was really difficult because all Jews were being deported. If they, they had to uh, sew stars of David on their clothes so they could be easily identified. And my, it was always risky. And so my aunt, a couple of days later, brought me to an orphanage in Belgium. 
And is that where you spent the duration of the, the years of, during the war? Correct. Yeah. Okay. And can you tell me anything about your, your father? I know you said he was, you visited him in prison when you were, you know, four years old or whatever. Can you tell me a little more about him? Yes. Uh, he was arrested when apparently I was six months old at the time. Of course, that's not something I remember. But he was arrested, and he was, uh, uh, because he was a communist, that was his, uh, I guess that was his crime. And at the time, they rounded up quite a few, uh, my aunt said about 100 people from the Communist Party. And out of those, uh, 96%, 96% of them, I should say, were executed, and four were able to get a prison sentence. And my father was one of the four that was able to uh, uh, to uh, get a prison sentence instead of being executed at the time. But I only saw him once, and that was in prison. And do you, so after prison, did he end up in a, do you know if he ended up in a concentration camp or you're, you're not too sure about what happened after that? No, well, I was with my mother. My mother brought me there. She went to visit him and took me. So we both went. And it was after that that my mother realized that she was going to get arrested. And at the end of the, my father's prison, he got a four-year prison sentence apparently. And at the end of that time, because he was Jewish, instead of releasing him, they sent him to Auschwitz. And he survived the entire war till the, uh, till the Russians were at the city gates and they were coming into the, uh, the city. And there was a forced march and he couldn't, he couldn't walk anymore, and he was shot at that point. Wow. Um, I'm curious, whatever happened with, did you ever, whatever happened with your aunt that you were telling me about, that you, after your mother was arrested, she, you know, you, you ended up running and finding her? Uh, what happened, she, she survived the war, so did her husband and one of her two sons. She had two sons. And I would be, she would have me come over with her on weekends from time to time from the orphanage. And she survived, but her son was, the Nazis would just pick people up in the street and uh, get their information and have them report at a place where they could be put on rail cars and deported to Germany. So he was 16 at the time. And I remember being with my aunt at the time uh, in her apartment. And they were arguing because my aunt wanted to give him some food. And all she had to give him were plums. So she insisted that he takes the plums because he's going to be hungry. They're not going to feed him. And he didn't want it. He felt they wouldn't. There's no point because he was. He felt he didn't need it, 
and so he left and left the plums but he w- he went to the place where he was told to meet and they deported him and nobody ever saw him again I'm curious, do you have any uh, positive memories from this period in your life? Uh, for example, you know, any kind of strangers that hid you along the way, any friends that you made in the orphanage, um, something like anything like that? Well, yeah, there were, I think the census of the orphanage was about 50. And I was lucky, you know, uh, they, ha- they had uh, two classrooms and... Uh, the first one was from kindergarten through uh, third grade, and the second classroom was like fourth through the sixth grade. After that, they went to a higher school and had to go out. But I was sent into kindergarten since I was about, oh, probably I was still five at the time. Uh, I... I had no problem with the kids. You know, I was the youngest, uh, the youngest there, and I started kindergarten. And because I was sitting uh, with the first graders, I did their work too, so they decided to put me in first grade. And uh, a few months into it, uh, they took me out of school. And the reason was, I didn't find that out till later, was because I was Jewish. And the Germans forbid, had forbidden uh, Jewish children from being educated. And my aunt, not knowing that the orphanage was already putting me in school because they didn't know I was Jewish, uh, came to beg them to let me continue, uh, to let me uh get an education and because they were you know at risk if they disobeyed the german edict uh they took me out of school and out i i uh i was taken out of the classroom and there were six other kids uh with a similar fate uh they were and that was the first time that I heard that I was Jewish. And I, I had absolutely no idea what Jewish meant. Wow. Looking back all these years later, uh, what, you know, what has been the longest lasting impact of growing up during the Holocaust? Well, uh, I, uh, I remember uh, when uh, the Germans were defeated. And all the bells rang, and everybody was celebrating in Belgium. I was still in the orphanage. I, uh, all of the bells rang, and everybody was happy because everybody was frightened of the Germans. When you walked down the street, you made sure that if you saw a, a, a soldier, a German soldier, you crossed the street. You wanted to stay away from them because they could shoot you. You, you knew that you, you, you were not safe, that they could do anything they wanted. And that was very frightening. So when we go someplace, we would avoid uh, running into people. 
uh, it was, uh, you know, you, you kind of have to protect yourself. But when the uh, when the armistice uh, came, I I cried because I knew instinctively that I would never see my parents again. I knew that if they hadn't connected, if we hadn't connected, that they they would not be they would never be there again. And so you talk about the armistice and you know the German defeat. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your life after the war? Yeah, um, I was sent to a convent, uh, a Catholic convent. I think they were the only ones that actually had food left after the war, because the Germans took back to Germany everything that wasn't nailed down. They 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 helped themselves to everything. And so uh, the Catholic Church, the nuns, I guess they had some uh, gardens uh, and land that they cultivated, and uh, they were they they ate. And so I was in there, and uh, um, I uh, spent six months there, learned the catechism, <laughs> the Catholic doctrine. Uh, I can say Hail Mary in French. Uh, uh, the nuns were very strict, but they were okay. Uh, so were the people in the orphanage. So I often got into trouble because I was too loud. Uh, they, uh, the, I was surrounded by the people from Belgium who were very always very nice and very uh, kind. There was nothing especially mean about them. But the Germans, yes, whenever I saw any kind of newsreel, it was nothing but uh, the horrors of what was going on with the prisoners that the Germans had taken. So I know you're in the United States and you ended up in the United States after the war, correct? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, first, yeah, my aunt came to me. I was, uh, after, after spending a f several months in, um, in the uh, convent, my aunt took me out. And apparently the uh, Jewish organizations had, uh, I think it was called Joint, they were gathering all of the orphans that they could, and they had set up orphanages. And I was uh, in one of the orphanages, and it was a chateau. I think it was an 18th century chateau in the countryside of Belgium in a little town called Profonsa. It was a, a, a lovely place. And uh, I uh, spent three years there. And at the end of the three years, my aunt came to me and she said, you have family in America and they want you to go and live with them. 
And my answer, I, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to come to the United States. But she said, well, she said, if you go with me, they were going to emigrate to Israel. And she says, I don't know. You're going to be in an, you're going to be in an orphanage or you're going to be in a kibbutz. I can't, I don't know if I can take you with, to live with me. Uh, but if you go to America, you'll live with a family in a home. And I still wasn't convinced. And, uh, the, the reason that they went to, uh, uh, that they were going to Israel, they had originally wanted to go to, to America. And my uncle was converting Belgian currency into dollars. So when he came to the States, he would have some cash. Uh, he couldn't work. Uh, he had to work in the black market during the war. But afterwards, uh, you know, when the... Um, when the Germans were defeated, I mean, he got regular employment, and he convert tried to convert it to, into dollars. But one day, his remaining son came home, and he said, "I'm going to Israel next weekend. There's a boat leaving the harbor, and I'm going to be on it. And I don't know if you." Uh, remember that part of history, but there was a boat in 1948 that was trying to reach Israel and get in, and it wasn't allowed. The, I think the British would not allow it to uh, enter the harbor, and my cousin was on that boat. And so eventually they did, the, the boat did dock and they did go to Israel and uh, my aunt and uncle followed him later. But I was still talking, uh, when I talked to my aunt I, about going to America, I said to her, I, I still wasn't convinced that I wanted to go and she didn't want to force me. So I said, well, do they have a dog? And she said, oh, yes. And she didn't have a clue. <laughs> but she, she, she thought it would be a better, a better a decision for me, a better place for me to be going to the United States than to go to Israel, which was still having a lot of problems as a country to get organized, as, as you probably know. Absolutely. And so uh, I came to the United States because they had a dog, <laughs> <laughs> which they didn't, but they got one. <laughs> they got one shortly thereafter. And that's it. I'll finish off here with, with one last question for you. Obviously, the Holocaust is, you know, many, many years in the past, you know, generations come and go. Um, so I'm just curious, if, if you could say anything to the next generation, you know, that might not be so familiar with the atrocities of the Holocaust or just the Holocaust in general, what would you like to, you know, what's the message you like to get out there? Don't ever forget it. 
because it can repeat. Absolutely. And I think that that's a great way to leave off, honestly. Um, so I will say this, Stephanie, I, I really appreciate the time. I, I thank you very much for coming on the program. And uh, I wish you all the best. And I, I really do appreciate your story. Matthew, thank you. And I hope someday to meet you in person. I hope so as well. Take care and uh, have a good one. You too. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Code Red Podcast. Be sure to click subscribe to stay up to date and be the first to hear about our future podcast. You can also find and subscribe to the Code Red Podcast on Podbean, Spotify, Google Play, and YouTube.